Good afternoon. I've got two very important things to talk about today. Pay attention. Be here. The first, who was here on Thursday? All right. Your self-work, your mojo work. <laughs> I had no doubt, but I needed to have the proof to bring back to you. So for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, we did a special Sangha meeting on Thursday, uh, sending healing energy to uh, Marsha Burns, who's uh, in Mission, who had a very serious operation, a triple bypass. And um, we had gotten the news or information that she wasn't doing well. And it seemed that she was sliding. And so we, we just put our hearts into it. We lent our hearts into it and we had a ceremony of giving, sharing, of all of our goodwill and all of our good fortune we gave to her. All of the power that we had inherent to us, we gave to her and to her family. And that same day, she started turning around. So, do I believe that any one factor dominates cause and effect? No. But I believe that every intention is supportive of its intention. And if we remember that and offer good intentions and love and compassion and truism, altruism, that um, we will lend to or incline the result to be in a very favorable and positive way. And this is something that's very necessary in today's time because there are so many people who are in despair and are desperate. So thank you so much for all of your love and all of your sharing. Really appreciate it. She's, she looks uh, marvelous. National Suicide Prevention Hotline. We're going to put these in the back of the table. There's an increasing rate of suicide in this country. There are many reasons why. But in my opinion, the, the tragedy, the predominant tragedy in suicide is that it is unnecessary. Yeah. Well, there were two celebrities that committed yeah. suicide this past yeah. week. Yeah. 
Okay, which which always brings it to to the attention of the nation. But the deal is that there are people committing suicide every day. Um, and out of all of the natural causes of death, suicide is the one that is seemingly most unnecessary. Although on one level of existence, there should be no difference from physical health and mental health. They're both important. There are, we are very fortunate that we have a practice that contains strengths that give us a leg up on the conditions that cause people to feel so desperate and isolated. It's about misunderstanding reality that shapes the perception of desperation and impotence. But the first thing that we learn in this practice is that no matter what we are influenced by what we are approached by, what we are encountering in the present moment is going to do what? It's going to change. So that's one of the truths, that's one of the apparent truths, that no matter what is present in this moment, it's going to change. So there, even though there appears to be a con- consistency of negativity or neglect or isolation or despair, that when we are trained to look at its truth, we see that even though that might be present in one moment of my existence, that changes and something else appears, something else presents itself, something different presents itself. So I don't necessarily need to think that it is appropriate for me to terminate my ability to be present in the moment because the moment isn't desirable for me. That there's that, that belief that there's nothing I can do to change the condition of the moment because the moment changes of its own accord 
And this is one of the things that we learn in this practice. There is another absolute, another truth that's apparent in this practice. And that is that all of objective phenomenal, phenomena is an illusion. We know that. I mean, that's obvious. If this were as dark and dank and desperate as the person who has the ideation of suicide thinks it is, then we'd all have that same intention and we'd all have that same volition. But we don't. There is always someone who thinks the glass is half full when we think it's half empty. And it is embedded in this practice to remind ourselves of what we are witnessing in the moment, how we are feeling about that in the moment, and understanding that we have the power to change how we feel about anything in the moment by changing the way we think in the moment. That what we feel, in essence, is not real, is not substantive. Because if we can change it simply by thinking about something different, then it is apparently smoke. And as we employ our practice, as we amend reality by utilizing the practice, utilizing the understanding that we're developing in our pursuit of happiness and heaven and peace and contentment, we understand that it has nothing at all to do with anything other than what we have as our own perception. And that can be changed in an instant. We have that capability. We know that because of our practice. However, I'm also aware and understanding of the fact that there are sometimes in the moment that we are unmindful, that we forget that we have the, the magic wand, that we have the power to color our reality, anything we want it to be. If we don't like it, we can change it. We have that authority. We have that inheritance, that legacy that allows us to do that. But we forget sometimes. We become caught up in the experience itself. We feel that it's special. And so for those moments, when we feel alone and disconnected, Just reflect on 
How do I say this? The Reflect on what seems to be consistent when a person has successfully um, exercised suicide. Now, let's begin again by saying that this person apparently feels isolated, depressed, in desperation, unempowered, alone, empty, There's a sense that there's no one or nothing that can help. But in the volition of that, in the volition of suicide, we see the outpouring of all of the people who are affected by that individual suicide. Right away that informs us of the connection that we have with everyone else around us, even though we might not in the moment be aware of it, because it is not that they've let go, it's that we've let go. It's not that they've isolated us, it's that we've isolated us. And it's all only because of what we think. And this is what this discipline helps us to understand. That it's all about the content of consciousness. The content of consciousness. That we are training ourselves to put a gate a prophylactic on that space between who we perceive ourselves to be and ideation or thought or thinking. That space that allows us the opportunity to evaluate or analyze our relationship with thinking to see that it is not us, that it doesn't belong to us, it is not owned by us, it is not initiated by us. It's just there, and it happens to be in what I perceive is my mind or brain compared to something that appears to be illusionary, external to me, although all of that still occurs here. We think we see out here, but we really see in here. We think we hear out there, but we really hear in here. Everything ultimately occurs here. And again, the practice illuminates the fact that no matter how real I think it is and serious I think it is, there is someone else having the same experience that's laughing, that's learning, that's being elevated, that's being enlightened by that same experience that I feel is pressing me down and injuring me, 
when I can be intentfully remindful of that, it frees me from my misconceptions, from my illusions. It allows me to open my eyes and be awake and see it for what it is, which is nothing. Which is an item, an object that I can embrace if I want to. Or I can disregard. And if we remember that, if we can remember that, then we're free. But if we find ourselves in a moment of unmindfulness, where we do feel isolated, there is always someone who cares. Always someone who cares. We are never alone even when we want to be. We've had experiences where we've wanted to be alone and someone has always intruded because we are never alone. The whole exercise that we did on Thursday with sending love and kindness to Marsha Burns informs us, instructs us of our connectivity. our influence in our relationship with everything else that's in this world. So I want every, each and every one of us here to understand that there's no such thing as being alone. There's no such thing as being disconnected. That you always have in this sangha in this community, a friend that you can reach out to, someone you can call at any time, day or night. Never forget that. There are teachings that talk about suicide in the suttas, about monks who've committed suicide. I haven't been able to wrap my head around that yet. Because first of all, one of the principles of this practice is to do no harm. Not only to others, but to do no harm to yourself. And so you have those who have gotten around it, so to speak, or been clever about it, so to speak, by not harming themselves, but then enlisting or inviting others to harm them. So to pay someone to kill them. I still don't understand it. Now, 
I admit that in my life, I have thought about killing other people. <laughs> but I have never, ever thought about killing myself. And that's coming from a person who has lived and incubated in a culture who has consistently told me that I was worthless. And I still gave him the finger. So what I'm saying is not, it's not important what other people think about you or what you think other people think about you. But what's important is what you think about yourself. And all we can do for you is to express how important you are to the whole group, to the whole community, to the whole concept of relationship. That without you, I could have no relationship. They are saying not to be afraid to approach those around you who you love, who are demonstrating warning signs, changes in behavior, withdrawal. And don't be afraid to ask the question, Are you thinking about hurting yourself? Now, nothing that we do is a guarantee. That's, that's one of the things that we learn in this practice, that nothing you do is a guarantee because there are so many influences that produce the symphony of life. But the one thing it does is it saves us from the, the lamentation of the wondering of did I do enough? What could I have done? Should I have said this? Should I have said that? Should I have intervened this way? That's all you can do from your heart is to ask the caring questions. Are you all right? Are you going to hurt yourself? Is there anything I can do to let people know that you're there? To let people know that you're connected? To know, let people know that if they weren't around, you would miss them? So this goes back to the task of the responsibility of relationship. The idea of picking up that phone. I'm still not a text guy, you know. I still believe in that intimacy of voice and hearing, getting in the head with the voice, telling you that I miss you, that you are important, 
that you've been inspirational in my life, that I couldn't have done it without you. That expression of connectedness, that all it takes is a minute, not a birthday, not an anniversary, not a holiday, but a minute. And what we don't understand sometimes is that when we employ that action, when we employ that volition, that we make that minute a holiday. We make it Christmas because of the energy, the dynamic that we deliver to the other. That you are important enough for me on this Wednesday to think about you and pick up the phone and take the time out of my life and say how important you are to my life. And if each of us does that for one, ultimately it'll make a difference. It'll drive those numbers back down. Because we still haven't quite figured out why some people get cancer and some people don't why some people are there at the moment of a terrorist bomber or a drunk driver and others aren't. We we can't quite predict or understand why those tragedies happen. But we do understand about suicide. And the one thing that we don't want to be left with is knowing that there was something that we could do that we didn't do. This is just a basic and a human responsibility in relationship to care, to stay connected, to reach out, to show concern. Is there anyone who'd like to say anything? I think it's been about two years ago, I was listening to a program on NPR, and a woman, a psychiatrist, was talking about the results of a study that she had done on folks who had had a near-death experience and all the people she had interviewed and, and what she found. And, and it ran the gamut of those who had had a rhapsodic experience to those who didn't feel anything. But one thing she was very struck by was to a person, those who had attempted unsuccessfully suicide had had a terrifying horrific experience. And she didn't explain more. She just simply said, I wouldn't recommend it. Mm. Anyone else? Do you think that there's some unwritten universal law that says you don't commit suicide, that life is, it's just an unwritten something in the universe that you just don't do that? because life is so special? No, I I think that suicide is one of the natural events 
of life. But it is so unnecessary. But we all come together to say, you can't do this. It's not, you know, the universe itself does that. Uh -huh. So is it like an unwritten law that you just don't do that? Well, if it was an absolute law, then it wouldn't happen. You know, if, if we couldn't do it, then it wouldn't happen. But it does happen. But we all understand that it shouldn't happen. Because well, we all have that other... Well, not neither that should one. driving and being drunk happen. Right. Or the idea that I should shoot you in the head happen. But it does. So... There are unwritten, or there are Im implied messages of behavior. Um, but also, like everything else, it's complicated, it's complex. Um, it's, it's, it's really puzzling to um, look at someone who appears to be successful and have everything in life that anyone would want and take their life. I mean, that's just incomprehensible. But it happens. So I think that the message from each of these occurrences are to encourage dialogue that minimizes the opportunity for the intrusion of the ideas that cause this to be something that happens again. Whether, whether again it's the suicidal tendency or the ideation or the guy who gets in his truck after drinking more than he knows he should and drives, you know, thinking that he'll get home tonight because he got home Wednesday night. It's about encouraging those dialogues or monologues because actually it all starts with me. It all starts with the thought that I have. And that's what the messages are, to, to not be silent about it, to, whether, whether it's that or whether it's someone being gunned down by law enforcement with, and they're unarmed. It's about having conversation about it so that it doesn't happen again. <coughs> it's about asking ourselves the question, why am I not bothered by this? Why do I not feel like don't need to have conversation about this. And if no more than to be inspired by the sorrow and tragedy of someone else's decision, to see the suffering that it leaves behind, the, the destruction you know, that, that family has to go through, that the children have to go through, 
to realize that it's not just about me. You know, it's like, well, I'm just hurting myself. I'm not hurting anyone else. Or that I'm hurting myself, but no one else will care. It's about extending that awareness to see that this is not about something done in isolation, something done in my bedroom by myself in the dark, but that it ripples and it has impact on those around me and community and national. And when I have that conversation and I see that connection, then I'm less inclined to embrace that behavior. You know, again, whether it be entertainment of suicide or entertainment of getting in my car while I'm drunk and driving, or joining a terrorist group that says it's all right to kill other people that I don't know, or joining a nationalistic party that says it's all right to hate other people I don't know that I have that dialogue, that I start that dialogue with myself. And that's what we're doing. Yes. So this kind of relates to how I'm going to back it up when you said for the same thing that's happening to you or someone you know, someone else is laughing and taking it with a different reality. Um, School ended Friday. And one of my parents came to me, had her kid for years. Big kid, outweighs me by 40 pounds, 11-year-old male. Mom has chosen to keep him back with me for another year versus middle school. And she came in in tears. And she said, um, Dina, he might be a little off this, this week or the rest of the day. He crashed his bike yesterday. We're trying without training wheels. He trashed his bike. He was in tears. I was in tears. He has no perceptions of pain. He never cries. I'm devastated. And I looked at her and I said, that's wonderful. And she looked at me back. I said, it's not even summer and you got it out of your system. He has no stitches. He didn't go to the ER. And he totaled his bike like any normal 11-year-old kid. That's great. And she stopped for a moment. She's also very Buddhist and like me, tattooed and pierced and a little different. And she said, hey, I hadn't thought about that. But Dina, he cried. And I, as a mom, I said, should be so damn grateful. Because the kids in the other special ed room who are in wheelchairs, who have the same cognitive level as your son, their mom's never going to come to me and cry and say, hey, Dina, he trashed his bike last night. And he's probably going to be clingy. And she stopped and she looked at me and she said, you know, Dina, it's exactly what I needed to hear today because it completely changed my perception and my guilt and my thought process. And you're right, no matter what it is, someone else's situation is different and could be a hell of a lot worse. Thank you. And she came back to me the next day and said, I walked away feeling a lot lighter and had a much better day. And it relates to this because the situation is always your perception of it. And there's somebody out there who would probably go, damn, I wish my kid trashed their bike today. That would be awesome. So I appreciate your suggestions about how to work with people on an interpersonal basis. In other suicide news this week, Khalif Browder, this is the June 6th was the anniversary of Khalif Browder's um, 
excuse me, Cleve Browder's suit aside. And also this week, a Honduran man who was separated from his family at the border, uh, an asylum seeker, committed suicide in the custody, in the custody of ICE. Um, so I, if people don't know who Khalif Browder is, I can tell you later. Um, so these are people who we have an interpersonal relationship with, but they're people who were totally crushed by cruel systems that are supported by us. What, what, what can we do? I mean, we're, we're clearly complicit in these cruel, cruel systems, it seems to me. Well, you can first of all examine your connection to the systems. For instance, uh, ultimately realizing its complexity, when we talk about systems, we, we talk about systems that are designed to destroy a protection that extends to people who don't have the ability themselves personally to protect themselves. So we think about this administration and the EPA and all of the dismantling that's being done with regulations, not only in the EPA but in the judicial system. The safeguards that were put in place to protect those who could not protect themselves. Now, are you complicit or are you a part of the problem? When you see it happening and you don't involve yourself with the stopping of that, I don't personally see that as the way to resolve things. In other words, I can make it safer for you by constructing regulations or laws or child-proofing my house so you don't hurt yourself. But the reality is I can't child-proof everything. I can't protect you from everybody that has the intention to do you harm. So how can I protect you? How, how can I help you to help you understand that there are people who are not going to love you as much as I do. And to be able to not be crushed by their efforts to crush you.
Life has a beautiful side to it and a cruel side to it. And there are always, in my opinion, going to be factions who support both sides of that equation, who, are, who lend their energy to either side of that equation. And although I would want everyone to be on my side, to see it my way, I also understand that there's more than one truth. There's more than one part of the elephant. And just as I can persuade myself to feel that my way is better, my, my vision of, of life or socialization is better than theirs, I understand why they see things the way they do. And I understand the reality of incorporating their view with my view of the elephant. And that I don't deny them their truth. I help those who I care about understand that there is that clear and present danger also there. And this is how you work with that. This is how you relate with that. That you don't make it go away, but you learn how to Enlarge your heart to accept the presence of that as well as what you think would be the optimum um, behavior or involvement of another person or another system. We'll never, we'll never, dissuade evil or wrongdoing from being present. Because to have good, you have to have not good. That's a part of the physics of duality, of this reality as it is. This is the physics of it. It's a law. You have to have this to have this. But I can only help those understand how to be stronger than that. Um, in other words, there's always going to be vampires, but you just don't invite them in. You know, but they're always going to be there. You, you're not going to make enough stakes to kill all the vampires. Just, it's just not going to happen. There's not going to be enough trees in the forest. But I can teach you other ways to coexist with the vampire. So one of those ways is what? To, if you think the system of voting is helpful, then vote. If you think the system of community involvement is helpful, then get involved in the community. Those are the things you do. But you're not going to make evil go away because without evil, I wouldn't know what good is. And that's what I need to know. What is good? Is Jonas over there? The way I see it is that there's 
too many possible futures in order to lose hope in any of it. There's more possible futures than there are planets in this universe. Every single decision that anyone in this world makes affects the future. Every word that someone says. Like, I'm just going to use this as an example. The suicides last week sparked that we're talking about this today. Mm-hmm. It affected the future, even though we don't personally know any of them, any of the people who did. None of us have ever met them, right? Right. Well, at least as far as I never met them. You never met them. Has anyone maybe, met them? Maybe some of our celebrity guests here have. But no one's met them. Yeah. And every. It's just too unfathomable to realize how many futures there are, possible things. Like, if I worded this any different, this statement any differently, there could be a different effect to it. Right. Since I brought up the celebrity thing, I brought up that no one here has met them, and that they affected it. Right. And that affected the future, too. Every decision, even these hand motions that I'm making while I'm talking, they're affecting the future. Absolutely. Thank and how I, this is what I usually say to people when they're starting to lose hope. How can you lose hope when there's so many possible futures? You can make a decision right now and everything could be fixed. You could also make a decision and everything will be go downhill. It's impossible to tell what the future holds, so why lose hope in it? Okay. We'll see. Thank you for uh, practice today. So I'm a therapist in the substance abuse uh, treatment center, and uh, last month I lost one of my patients to suicide, and it affected me very deeply. And uh, you know, I second guessed myself, what could I have done differently? But I had to come to terms with acceptance that I did everything I could have possibly have done to help keep this young person alive. And now I'm faced with two more of my patients who are really at death's door and wanting to kill themselves. And, you know, many of my patients are uh, socioeconomic disadvantaged, they're minorities. Mm -hmm. They don't have the same privileges that many of us have. They've been to jail. They, you know, they've had a really rough, uh, rough time in life. And my question is, given this, how do I cultivate more compassion and and empathize and what can I do to help them in a deeper level because on Friday afternoon I'm a court low on compassion and I'm really trying like my best to, to deepen my practice to be there for them the first thing to do is accept the fact that there are many thumbs on the scale and that whether I take mine off or push down more heavily on mine It's just only one pebble in the whole tsunami. I think at the end of the day, to be able to analyze or evaluate your own effort, you know, could I have done more? You ask that question, and then of course, in raising that question, opens the window of observation as to whether you could or whether you couldn't. And so not to be afraid to ask that question and not to be afraid to assess your your own involvement. Um, 
the possibility that the experience occurred to broaden your own experience. You know, all experiences are ultimately have one purpose, and that is for us to benefit and learn by. And so at the end of the day, as you assess your day and your relationship to that day, the question all of us should be asking at the end of the day is, did I do, do, did I do good? And sometimes we find that there was something we omitted or something we neglected or something we forgot about or something we didn't even know. But all of that makes us better the next time. One of the things of the practice, one of the aspects of the practice is that it requires that we not get stuck in what we did or didn't do the last time. Because there is nothing that we can change about what we did or didn't do the last time because it has already happened and it's already done. And the only thing that we can do with that is to learn from that so that we will do it differently and perhaps better the next time. That we ask for another opportunity, you know, so that when we see a consistency of presentation, of behavior, it causes us, it should cause us to, if we were not as successful as we think we could have been, to double down, to to study more about the subject, to study about our presentation, our, our dialogue with the other, could, could I have just been a little more intimate with them? Could I have just said this instead of that? And then even in that, realizing that how I diagram my intention based on what my experience was in the past, as Jonah said, it won't be the same thing the next time. Because it'll be somebody different, and I'll be somebody different being there with that somebody different. So that informs me that I should not get too anal and too rigid, you know, with my schematic. That I should trust more of my heart to, to get involved because I care and to trust the higher or bigger scheme of things that will guide me, that will nudge me in the right direction, that will encourage me to say the right thing that I, I stop getting out of my own head and my own self about what I'm doing for them and just being a part of the team, you know, realizing that I'm here with them because I'm supposed to be and there's something that I am here to give or contribute. Whether I realize it or not, that's the only reason I'm here. I wouldn't be inserted in this instant if it wasn't for me having purpose, you know, beyond what I understand my purpose is. So to trust that, 
And to prepare for that, to, to, to know as much as I can know about the game that I'm playing so that I can be as effectual, effectual as possible, effectual as possible with the moment as it is standing with everyone else in the moment too, right? And that's all we can do. Uh, with your permission, we are over our allotted time. I promised your mother and father that you'd get home on time. <laughs> but what I'd like to do to end this, to round this up, is just to take a few minutes just to share a little bit of our hearts with everybody out there that feels they don't have one or they don't have a friend. Is that all right? Okay, we know intention works. We know that we can remotely touch people and touch events in a very positive and deep way. So wherever you think you want your heart to go, to journey, to travel, to enjoin or co-join,
just remember when we have the inclination to to denigrate the mud and the manure, we'd have no flowers and no orchids and no lotuses without them. I'm grateful for all of you. Thank you so very much for coming and supporting us. We appreciate it. May all beings be liberated from suffering. May we be well. May we be happy. May we be peaceful. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Love somebody. Smile at a stranger. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.